So I want to preach a Christmas message this morning. And in order to do that, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis. We're going to start in chapter 3. If you want to know what it is to preach a Christmas message, we want to know why. We need to know why Christ came into the world. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were created. God made Adam in His image. God took Eve from Adam, made them both, breathed into them the breath of life, and they became a living soul. God put them in a garden to be stewards of His new creation. God didn't create robots. He gave men a test whether they would be allegiant, their allegiance would be to Him or to themselves. God put a tree in that garden, many trees, tree of life, many other trees that were good for food. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. History. It's not a fairy tale. That's history. There was a garden. There was a tree. I believe it. They laugh at us on the campuses when we talk about that. But there was a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, in the day that you eat of that tree, you will die. I don't believe it was very long after God gave that commandment that the serpent came. God had told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, to bear children and replenish the earth. They hadn't done that yet, and there's no reason to think they should have waited. But there was no child in the picture when the serpent came. I believe it was a matter of days. Very quickly, man rebelled. Satan was up to, uh, he's still up to those old tricks today. His strategy was the same we see today. Yeah, God hath said, but what he really meant. Or a better translation would say, if you eat of that fruit, you'll be like Him. You'll be like God and able to know good and evil. And it says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, was pleasant to the eyes, and something desired to make one wise. And she ate. She gave it to her husband. And for one single sin of disobedience, we're not talking murder here. We're not talking genocide. We're not talking... Uh, even thievery or adultery, we're talking disobedience. One sin of disobedience, God cursed all of creation. And He kicked man and woman out of that garden. And that relationship between God and men was tarnished. That image of God was tainted because of one sin of disobedience. For one sin of disobedience, God had to send forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law. One sin of disobedience is why Jesus came and for all the sins that followed thereafter. Do you know what Christmas is about? Christmas is about one sin of man's rebellion that cursed all of mankind. That's how holy God is, my friend. He's that holy that for one sin of disobedience, His nature required Him to kick them out and to do what He said in the day that you eat it, you will die. They died spiritually that day. And my friends, we are not all the children of God. That's a politically correct message that I will not preach. We are the offspring of God, as Paul said there at Mars Hill. But our relationship as children was tainted in the Garden of Eden. It was broken. But praise be to God that through Jesus Christ, we can be children of God. And we can be adopted back into that family. That's what Christmas is all about. But there in the midst of those cursings, there in the midst of those dark days, the coming Messiah was prophesied. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy heel, or thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It's interesting here. God says, I will put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Friends, that's the virgin birth prophesied there in the Garden of Eden. The seed is of the man. The seed comes from the man. But God spoke of the seed of the woman. For Jesus' seed was conceived of the Holy Ghost. He was eternally God. And God stepped into human flesh to the power of the Holy Ghost. God would send one who would make provision, would make propitiation for the sin created that day. And the Christmas message was preached right there in the Garden of Eden. But I don't want to stay here. I want to move on to chapter 4. You see, God took cloaks of skins and He clothed Adam and Eve and made provision 
for that sin, showing that God required a blood sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, Hebrews says, there is no remission of sins. God requires a blood sacrifice. And all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament were an act of faith, a foreshadowing of the coming one, the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul told the Jews in Hebrews that you've got two choices. There is no more sacrifice for sin in terms of your Old Testament system. Your two choices are Christ or judgment. Paul's not speaking about losing salvation there. He says, I'm convinced better things of you, things that accompany salvation. But he's telling the Jewish people, there's no more sacrifice for sin in the animal of the altar because the sacrifice has come. It's Christ or judgment. Friends, it's Christ or judgment. God told this, obviously, to Adam and Eve. He obviously taught them that He required a blood sacrifice. They obviously passed this on to their children. So let's go to Genesis chapter 4. We're not going to talk about Adam and Eve. We're going to talk about their sons today. I'm going to read for you the first ten verses here of Genesis chapter 4. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Let's pause in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for mercy this morning. I pray for grace, Lord, that Your Word would be spoken. Not my opinions, they mean nothing, but Your Word. I pray that we would hear today, be exhorted today, lest any of us fall and become hard to the, in, in, because of deceitfulness of sin. Lord, protect us from the other Jesuses that are preached and from the, uh, being corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ today. Teach us from Your Word. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. Here in Genesis chapter 4, we see an amazing thing that happens very quickly after Adam and Eve's sin. We see murder, bloodshed in the Bible. And friends, Cain is someone that we should watch and see. Because we are told in the New Testament, beware of the way of Cain. And in an effort to exhort you to daily, and in light of what Christmas is all about, my message today is to beware the way of Cain. Beware the way of Cain. Be on guard. Be on guard. Beware of Cain's philosophy. Beware of his philosophy. Verses 2 and 3, it says that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Abel brought, of course, of the sheep of the ground. I believe Cain and Abel were twins. It says that Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bare Cain. And then later when it talks about Seth and even about Cain's children, it says he knew his wife and brought forth. It doesn't say that a second time here with Abel. So I, I believe they were twins. You may disagree. That's fine. I wouldn't be dogmatic about that. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. He farmed the ground. Nothing wrong with that. Abel was a keeper of sheep. But God required a blood sacrifice. Cain and Abel knew this. They had obviously been taught by their parents or taught by God because it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abel offered of the sheep by faith. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And through that sacrifice, he was righteous. Just like Abraham. Abraham believed God and was righteous. Faith is to believe God at His Word. Abel believed God at His Word. And by that, he was righteous in God's eyes. So if Abel's offering was of faith, that means they'd been taught. 
But Cain's philosophy was this. I love God. What's wrong with doing it my way? Yeah, God says He wants a blood sacrifice, but hey, I till the ground. I've got beautiful crops. I'm going to serve God my way. Guys, that's a dangerous philosophy that has infested our church today. It's a philosophy that has infested our youth group and has turned into outright apostasy in this country. The idea that we can come to God on our terms. Many of us would not admit this in the church today. Many pastors would not admit this, but they're preaching to God as if He sits on a mountaintop with many pathways leading to Him. I've seen well-respected men of God go on TV. And when they're asked if Jesus Christ is the only way, the answer is pretty simple. And I look for a simple answer, but I don't hear it. I hear beating around the bush. That's the philosophy of Cain. God doesn't sit atop a mountain with many pathways leading to Him, my friend. There's only one bridge between righteous God and sinful men. And that's the one who was prophesied there in Genesis 3. That's the blood sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. Beware of Cain's philosophy. Cain was governed by pragmatism. It was practical for him to take an offering from his garden rather than to humble himself and go to his brother and purchase or borrow a sheep to offer to God. Cain did what was practical. And pragmatism has infested our churches. It has infested our Christian lives. We must beware. We must flee from this lest we be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Jude describes the way of Cain. He talks about false teachers and he says, Woe unto them, for they have run in the way of Cain. They've gone greedily after the error of Balaam and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. You can read about those men in the Old Testament and see they had one thing in common, pragmatism. Jude describes it this, they do what they know naturally as brute beasts. If we are determined to serve God according to what we know naturally, what seems good and what feels good, but what runs contrary to the revelation of God, then we are walking in the way of Cain. We should beware. Many false teachers today go in the way of Cain. Pragmatism, the gospel, missions, the church is about the needs of man, the needs of man, the needs of men. No, my friends. Missions, the gospel, the church is about the glory of God. It's not the needs of man. Jesus Christ and His redemption on that cross is but one aspect of God's glory. It's not the focal point of all history. What God does is for His glory. God sent Christ for His glory. God calls us out of the world for His glory. God sends us to the nations for His glory. Men receive and accept Christ for His glory. And even those that reject Christ, God will be glorified. You see, there's a resurrection to life and a resurrection to damnation according to Daniel the prophet. And even that resurrection to damnation gives glory to God because it shows let God be true and every man a liar. It's about the glory of God. The way of Cain is about the needs of man. Are we doing what we do in the church? Are we governing our ministries, our personal ministries, our church ministries, our missions ministries by man-made philosophy, man-made strategy, or man-made pragmatism? Or are we governing it according to the glory of God and His revelation of Himself here in His Word? It's a question to ask. Cain ignored the clear revelation of God. He ignored it. He took God's truth out of context. I'm a missionary. You, the church here supports and believes in missions. But in missions alone, at least the way I was taught in seminary, and at least the way I'm confronted with it a lot on the field, seems to be primarily today about strategy. Systems, methodology, pragmatism. Friends, this is where missions has gone wrong. It's supposed to be about the gospel and about truth. It's not supposed to be putting up Christmas lights as a service to the community. It's supposed to be about proclaiming the gospel. And what a great way to put up some lights and people are going to come anyway. Why not get out there and preach the gospel? I don't understand that. But I can't understand it because it's the way of Cain. When it comes to missions, Constantly confronted with the pragmatism of how we as missionaries raise support, how we engage the lost, how we budget, how we preach, how we understand the gospel. All of these things governed by pragmatism. I hear this on the college campuses all the time as we preach. Sometimes the Christians will come up and they'll say, I agree with what you're saying, but we call them the yeah buts. Yeah, but. We hear that a lot. But this is not effective. 
What's effective, my friends? Effective is what God says is effective, and His Word says that it never returns void. God says He's ordained preaching to save those that believe. I'm not concerned with effectiveness. That's the way of Cain. I'm concerned with obedience. That's the way of Abel. In the way we serve Christ, my friends, in our everyday lives, and as we seek what God wants us us to do, young people, or parents as we raise our children, pastors and teachers, missionaries as we proclaim the gospel, we dare not follow the way of Cain and be concerned with what's effective because the world says the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But God says it's the power to save those that believe. And the way that God seeks is obedience. And God brings results. When people, I laugh when, when, when someone says this because I say, look around you and there's a crowd around. What do you mean this is not effective? There's people here talking about the gospel, talking about God. Yeah, well, they're mocking God. Well, that may be, but still God and Jesus are the topic of conversation. And it's amazing the positive conversations that take place. I don't see how people say it's unaffected, but I'm not concerned with effectiveness. That's the way of Cain. Sometimes we say we believe God at His Word, but we act as if our methods are better than God's. Paul warned us, don't be deceived like Eve. Don't be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. My friends, to be a Christian is a simple thing. It's a life of trusting God. It's a life of relying on Christ to deliver us from the power of our sin. And it's a life of simple obedience to open our mouth to proclaim the Gospel and to live like Christ. There's nothing complex about that. But our churches have become so complex. They've become so uh, corrupted by pragmatism and man-made philosophy. Our churches in America are run like a business. Many of our pastors are CEOs. Many of our missionaries are like business owners when we're supposed to be servants. When we're supposed to walk in obedience as Abel, we're walking like Cain, doing it our way. What seems to be practical, why shouldn't I bring an offering of the fruit of the ground? That's what I do. How many times have we said the same thing in our lives? Well, why should I open my mouth and share the Gospel? I'll just walk around this city and pray for them. I'll pray that God will send somebody. Our prayer walk. All the while, unwilling to open our own mouths. Well, this is just as effective. No, God said open your mouth and preach the gospel. Certainly we should pray for people, but why not be the answer to your own prayer? (laughs) Why sit there praying for God to send forth laborers when He's got one right there and you're not willing to do it? That's the way of Cain. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul tells us... Let me turn there. I don't want to misquote it, so I want to turn there. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, but not after Christ. Let's not be spoiled like Cain into thinking that what that we can come to God on our terms. We cannot. That's a false gospel. A false gospel says God accepts you as you are. <laughs> Friends, God does not accept us as we are. God loves us too much. Keep us as we are. And He does not accept us. That's why we need Christ. If God accepted us as we are in our sin, we wouldn't need Christ. We must flee to Christ. Only He can save us to God. Only He can save us from God. God does not accept us. That's why Christ had to die. That's why God stepped in human history and was born in a manger and lived and died and rose from the dead because God cannot accept us as we are. But praise God by faith in Jesus Christ Like Abraham, that faith can be counted as righteousness. Praise God that God can be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. That's the Christmas message. Beware of Cain's philosophy. Friends, we need to be aware of Cain's offering. Back in Genesis chapter 4, Cain was governed by pragmatism and his pragmatism resulted in an offering for which we should beware. Again, Verse 3 and 4, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. Verse 5, but unto Cain and his offering he had no respect. My friends, Cain brought a bloodless offering before the Lord. Destitute of any adequate sense of sin or need of atonement. Friends, is our message today bloodless? 
Is our sacrifice bloodless? Is our gospel bloodless? Beware of the bloodless offering. Because God requires a blood sacrifice and a gospel devoid of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the sin of man is no gospel. A gospel that said God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You've got a God-shaped vacuum in your heart that only God can fill. And, you know, you've got this little problem called sin, but it's no big deal. If you'll just pray this prayer and ask Jesus in your heart, you'll be okay. And you'll be in. That's a bloodless gospel, my friend. That's not the gospel. God's not a sky fairy that exists to make our dreams come true. He's a holy, righteous king, a creator. He's not a beggar either. The gospel is this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. God shed His blood for us. He didn't shed His blood that we might keep sinning. Oh, that's the fallacy. That's Cain's religion. I see it on the campuses from so-called Christians all the time. Well, Jesus died for our sins. Everybody sins. It's no big deal. We have to keep sinning. But Jesus died for our sins, so it's no big deal. No, my friend. The angel told Joseph, you will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. My friends, Christ came to save us from our sins. By grace through faith, we are saved from the penalty of sin. God sees Christ and declares us righteous, but also, my friend, through the sanctifying power of the Spirit, we are saved from the power of sin in our lives. And praise be to Jesus Christ that when we are glorified, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Christ came to save us from our sins, not to keep sinning. You know, in a lot of our Southern Baptist churches, I hear this phrase touted, once saved, always saved. Hear me out now. I really am not a heretic. I don't believe that. I don't believe once saved, always saved as an excuse to keep sinning. And that's what's preached in these churches. I believe in eternal security. I believe that those whom God saved are predestined to bear fruit and be sanctified. And we talk about predestination and election and all that. And I'm not going to go down those roads, but I'm going to tell you this. Everywhere the Scripture speaks of predestination, it speaks of being predestined to bear fruit. If you've been saved by grace through faith, you are foreordained to bring forth fruit. But if you're not bearing fruit, friends, you're not saved. Fruit doesn't, works don't save you. No way. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's preceded and followed by repentance. But fruit is the inevitable result. And that's why Christ came to save us, that we'd be conformed to His image. So friends, as a Christian, if you're in sin, stop. Young people, if you're looking at pornography, stop it. Don't make excuses for it. A Christian doesn't make excuses for those things. The difference between a true convert and a false convert is one's attitude about sin. I played the church game as a young person, guys, ladies and gentlemen, young people. I claimed to be a Christian, but there was no victory over sin in my life, and I made excuses for my sin. Well, it's no big deal to look at pornography. I'm, I'm not hurting anybody. I couldn't say that as a saved man. couldn't say that. I stand before you today, God, praise be to God, He's given me victory over pornography in my life. He's given me victory over an ego the size of Texas. He's given me victory over arrogance and pride. He's given me victory over a lying tongue, my friend. He saved me from those things. Does that mean I'm incapable of stumbling into that sin? No. But because Christ loves me, I won't dive into that river of sin and keep swimming. I'll fall in. I may fall off the path, but because of God's grace, it's going to shock my system. And through His grace, we can have victory. What does Christ save you from? See, the follower of Cain's religion may profess Jesus, but he has nothing wherewith he's been saved from. He doesn't even know what he's been saved from. The follower of the Gospel knows the power of Christ in his life. The follower of the Gospel preaches truth that is... Blood sacrifice, not bloodless. Beware of Cain's offering. It was blood, bloodless. Has our gospel become bloodless? Say this prayer and you're in. Treating Jesus like a flu shot. That humble babe born in a manger is not a flu shot. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's not say this prayer and you're in, friend. A ritual cannot save you. Salvation is as simple as a prayer. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But if you're trusting in the ritual, and you're thinking you can go on and live your life without even 
any evidence of change, then you're following the way of Cain. You're bringing that bloodless offering to God that He will not accept. My friends, if you've met Jesus Christ, if you've met my Jesus, surely you've been changed. I claim to know Him many years. No change. For me to say that I know Jesus Christ and to not be changed would be like me saying that I had an encounter head-on with a train this morning and I'm here to tell you about it. I could not have an encounter with a train and not be physically changed. You cannot have an encounter with Christ through the Gospel and not be changed. That's why Paul tells us to examine ourselves to make sure we're in the faith. I'm not preaching a work salvation, my friends. Only God can save us. Jonah cried from the belly of the whale. Salvation is of the Lord. Everything about salvation is of God. He has to draw you. He has to keep you. But He does these things. And there's proof of it in our lives. But the way of Cain knows not the working of the Holy Spirit. The way of Cain is empty religion, church attendance, ritual, youth group. All of these things are what people trust in for their salvation and not the Christ of the Bible. It's okay to sin. Just ask for forgiveness. It'll be alright. That's the bloodless offering that God will not accept. You can accept Christ and still be a good Muslim or a good Hindu. That's what some of our missionaries are teaching. That's the way of Cain. I think of those true Christians in places like Nepal that came out of those false religions and were baptized as a testimony to the world that they were separating from their false idols and following Christ. And I see how they've suffered. And I see the joy on their faces. And then I think about us American missionaries trying to tell them that you can still follow, you can still worship at the mosque and you can still call it Allah and you can still read the Quran and you can still be a good Muslim and be a Christian. That's the way of Cain. And my friends, it is happening. It is happening. I have a Southern Baptist heritage I'm very grateful for. I know many solid Bible-believing missionaries on the foreign field. I was once one of them. Since I go to many different places, there's not a place for me anymore, but I've labored. One of the brothers we were laboring with on this college campus tour, he's a North American Mission Board missionary, and that's what he does full-time is travel to college campuses every year. And we joined alongside of him this time so he wouldn't have to go along. We were together in Pennsylvania a couple months ago at a campus preaching Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. And uh, one of the campus pastors came out. What we learned later is that he was a fellow North American Mission Board missionary. We were preaching the Gospel. He came preaching the way of Cain. He saw us come on that campus and he immediately went to the police. We hadn't said a word and said, you've got to get them off here. They don't have a permit. I don't even know how he knew who we were. I suspect it's because the Spirit in him was at conflict with the Spirit in us. How else would he have known? But he came and he stood in front of the preacher preaching the cross and he paraded back and forth and said, don't listen to these people. We are campus ministries here. We're here all year round. We do not support these guys. Do not listen to them. They only want you to hit them so they can sue you. Don't listen to them. We hate these guys. Don't listen to them. This was a Southern Baptist North American Mission Board missionary talking over the preaching of the cross. The way of Cain has infested our mission society. It's infested our churches. I wrote a letter to the North American Mission Board mission. I mean to the mission board. I demanded as a Southern Baptist that this man be removed from his position. I think it was buried under the rug. I've not received a response. I even sent video footage of it. It's the way of Cain. It's the way of Cain. Gospel that has no repentance is a bloodless offering. We must repent of our sins and trust Christ. Repentance isn't preached anymore. We must preach these things. True salvation is preceded and followed by repentance. Cain's offering was a refusal of the divine way. Friends, we don't come to God on our own terms. We come to Him on His terms. And to bring an offering before Him, the Bible says, Paul says in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Our own bodies ought to be a bloody sacrifice to God. We ought to be willing to to, uh, forsake all and follow Him and even shed our own blood for Him if it comes to that. And I believe it will come to that in this country. I believe it will come to that. I believe the day will come when the person we sit beside in the pew will turn us into the authorities. I believe we've been infested in our churches. I believe the Jesuits have gotten in here. 
I believe false teachers have gotten in here parading themselves as ministers of God to deceive. And we must exhort one another daily. We must know and understand the way of Cain and flee from it to protect ourselves in these dark days. I am a conspiracy theorist. I believe that history is one big conspiracy of Satan trying to overthrow God's rule. But here's the problem. History is not some cosmic duality of good versus evil. That's what Satan thinks. God's far above all of that. There is no victory for evil. So I'm a, I'm a, a conspiracy theorist. Satan's always conspiring conspiracies. But you know what? It doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter how the laws change. Our job remains the same. We must be faithful. Beware, the, beware of Cain's philosophy. Beware of his offering. The gospel that we preach must be one of repentance and faith. It must be one of a bloody sacrifice in Jesus Christ. One of atonement and resurrection. Not one of pragmatism. Jude, chapter, Jude verse 4 talks about false teachers. Talks about them turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Cain did. He offered a sacrifice according to his own lust and he denied the bloody sacrifice God required. How many of us in our churches today are, use the grace of God as an excuse to sin? Paul said, God forbid. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Look at these churches out here. These so-called Christians that are living in sin. We stood at a campus one time and this girl that claimed to be a Christian was saying, why are you here? How do you know these people are sinners? You can't say they're sinners. Well, everybody's a sinner, man. So my friend who was preaching said, how many of you here today would sell your soul for your pornography? The entire crowd cheered like their team had just won won the football game. How many of you here would boast in your homosexuality? Cheers. How many of you would boast in sex outside of marriage? Cheers. And he turned to her and said, Ma'am, I'm in the right place. I'm amongst sinners. And the sad thing was the Christians cheered with the lost people. Turning the grace of our God into lascivious. Lasciviousness is unrestrained lust. And denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Not going to take time, but plenty of passages of Scripture tell us the nature of Christ's bloody sacrifice. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We weren't saved to keep living in sin. We were saved to be righteous. And that righteousness comes from the power of God in our lives. Beware of Cain's philosophy. Beware of his offering. Beware of his reaction or his response to God's truth. Verse 5. I'm kind of overlapping here. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. God had no respect for Cain's offering. Cain should have known why, but he got angry. His countenance was falling. God said, what's wrong with you? What's your problem? If you do well, you'll be accepted. And if you do not well, sin lieth at the door. That's kind of an interesting little phrase there that various interpretations have been made. And that word sin there is the Hebrew word chata. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. It's the same word in the Old Testament for sin is also used for sin offering. And it shows the identification of the believer's sin with the offering, the interposed sacrifice. Just like Christ's identification with our sin, He became our sin, though He is without sin. I believe what God is telling Cain now is if you do not well, sin lieth at the door. See, Cain didn't go get, a, get a flock, some of the flock from his brother, but God sent the sin offering to his door. When He said sin lieth at the door, I believe that means that sheep, God sent that lamb to the door. If thou doest not well, sin life at the door. I'm sending you a sin offering and giving you an opportunity to do what's right. That's what I believe there. And God says, unto thee shall be his desire. That, that lamb will cooperate for you and you will rule over him. You can sacrifice him and do what's right. I believe that's at least a reasonable interpretation there. Sin life at the door. The sin offering. God even sent the sin offering to Cain. And he still refused. His response to God's truth was not to obey but to become angry. And then what did he do? God made a last appeal to Cain, even yet to provide the required offering. 
Cain's response was not to humble himself and repent. It was to kill his brother, one more righteous than he. Friends, beware Cain's reaction and response. When God sends people into our lives, like God sent Nathan the prophet into David's life to confront him with God's Word, how are we going to respond? Nathan said, Thou art the man. Did David respond like Cain? No, he humbled himself. God says that He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. But the way of the world, the way of apostate Christianity is to respond to God's truth like Cain did, to become angry, to refuse to listen. We cannot be that type of believer. There are many areas in our lives today that we need to be exhorted daily lest we be be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's things in my life. There's things that me and my brothers have exhorted each other over on this trip. You know, exhorting one another to make sure there's compassion in our voice and to make sure that we're, that we're not uh, offending for no reason. And sometimes we don't like to hear that stuff. And sometimes even my response was borderline pain. But our response shouldn't be that way. When confronted with God's truth, may our countenance not be fallen. May we not become wroth, but may we be humbled and do what's right. Even when God sends us the means to do it, will we reject it as Cain did? Beware of that reaction, that response. So many believers, or so-called believers on these campuses will get angry about the preaching of the gospel and when people are offended and they bring out signs. I was showing the young people some footage this morning where these, Christ- these people came out in response to the gospel and they were holding up signs. I've seen some interesting ones. One of them, I saw one that said, Hell must be fabulous. Another one said, I love weed and porn. Another sign, trust humanity. And of course, we always see the favorite passage of the non-believer, Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. Failing to understand that that's talking about hypocritical judgment. But I've seen these Christians will blame the preacher for this response. And when confronted with what the Bible says about being a witness... And about even Paul, he talked about those that preached Christ contentiously, but he didn't get angry. He rejoiced that the gospel was being preached. And when trying to share these things, people get so angry. And eventually it comes out. I was talking to a lady the other day that got so angry, I just offered her a gospel tract. She said, judge not that you be not judged. I said, ma'am, I'm just offering you a tract. I'm not judging you. She came back later. I didn't realize it was the same woman. I said, ma'am, can I give you a gospel tract? It would be a blessing. She, she said, I've got my own way. I said, ma'am, I'm I'm real sorry to hear that. She got so angry at my response. and She said, I'm a Christian and what you guys are doing are wrong. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus, all this, that. It finally came out. I finally drew it out of her like poison out of a wound. I knew it was coming. The Bible is just a book written by men. You can't believe that book. Now I knew what kind of Christian she was. She followed the way of Cain. And her reaction to God's Word was to get angry and say, that's the work of men, not the Word of God. There are people out there that call themselves Christians. I hear that all the time. It's just a book written by men. can't believe it. That's the primary problem in the church today is this is not the authority anymore. That's the primary problem. We don't believe it. Or if we don't like it, we change it and try to modernize it to make it say something else. Or if we don't like what God's preserved Word says, we just go find us a translation that does say what we want it to say. It's a problem. It's a problem. Sometimes I believe the greatest enemies of the biblical gospel can be quote-unquote Christians, just like Cain was one of the greatest enemies to his own brother. See this with campuses, missionaries, churches. When persecution comes in the spirit of Cain, they will turn those more righteous than they into the authorities. Make that never be us. That young man at that campus, you 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 may not be called to preach on the streets. You may not be comfortable with the method, but you are called, fellow believer, to love the preacher. You are called to love the preacher, to pray for him, and you are called to be a witness. But to speak over the preaching of the cross, I've never understood this from a so-called Christian, but I see it everywhere. It's dark days, apostasy, the way of Cain, everywhere. Why did Cain slay his brother? The Bible says very clearly in 1 John 3 because his own works were evil 
and Cain's were more righteous. If we live righteously and we bear fruit in our lives, the world will hate us. Not only the world, but the so-called Christians who never really met the Lord Jesus Christ. They will hate us. John goes on to say, after talking about Cain and Abel, marvel not if the world hate you. Friends, it's dark days. This is the way it is. Are we going to stand firm like Abel? According to God's way, are we going to follow the way of Cain? Beware of Cain's reaction or his response. When we're confronted with God's truth, may we be humble. May we not become defensive. If we know God's Word is right and we believe it, and when being confronted, the Holy Spirit convicts us, let's don't get angry with our brother. Let's thank him. Let's exhort one another daily, lest any be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And my friends, that's not politically correct anymore. We're so thin-skinned here in America. I loved worshiping with some Romanian brethren the other night in Boise. We met a Romanian Christian on the campus, and he was so encouraged by what we were doing, he invited us over to his home. We ended up spending the night there, and they begged us to come to their church. I'd been to Romania, so there was some camaraderie there. God gave Ken and I both an opportunity to preach, and the young people wanted to all come over to where we were staying that night at that home. And it was late, but they all come over and they brought their Bibles. And they just had some questions about some hard issues. Kind of the same thing that I get into with the wards at their home when I come to town. We sit up till 2 o'clock in the morning. And Dan brings his Bible and he's got these crazy questions that I don't have an answer to. And we just hash it out. But we sat there and went through the Scriptures and it got loud a couple times. It got heated, but it was a spirit of love. There was no thin skin in that place. We were exhorting one another. I left there with things to think about. Why are we so thin-skinned? Why are we so afraid to tell the truth to our brother? If we love him, we will. I say this on the campus all the time. They say Jesus preaches love. Of course He preaches love. But true love bids a warning doom to children that play in the freeway. That's love. That's love without dissimulation, as Paul talked about in Romans 13. Dissimulation is to conceal what you know to be true. Finally this morning, I've been told that sometimes Brother Steve has preached at 1230. So I'm trying to get done by 12. Um, at the Romanian church, I thought that Ken and I were the preachers. We sat down. The preacher came up, preached the message. When he was done, another preacher came up and preached the message. It was like three or four hours and nobody cared. And here I was looking at my watch the whole time. Finally today, my friends, in terms of Cain, beware of Cain's legacy. Beware of Cain's philosophy. Beware of his offering. Beware of his response to God's truth. And finally, we must beware of his legacy. We see this a little bit later in chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he, that is Cain, builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Cain went out to build cities, compounding sin upon sin. And we see that in the line of Cain. And whether or not you believe Genesis chapter 6 is angels mixing with men, or the line of Cain and the line of Seth mixing, whatever you believe there, God erased all traces of Cain's descendants in the flood. None of them survived. Cain did not repent and get right with God. He went out and builded cities. Cities are the source of much that is called evil today. Much of the evil in the world begins in the cities and goes out to the, the highways and byways. That's an undeniable fact. Go walk around downtown San Francisco or New York City. I love the city. It's a great place to preach the Gospel. But there's much that's wicked about it. And we see that its heritage goes back to Cain. He built the first city. That's his legacy is one of rebellion against God, one of doing things his way. Will this be our legacy as missionaries, Christians, as church leaders? Will that be our legacy? Will we have a corrupted generation as Cain did that required God to erase it from all human history? Will it be us, as Jude describes, that are wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? Will we be those, as Jesus talked about, that knew not until the flood came and took them all away in Noah's day? 
Will we be like the church of Laodicea and think we are rich, increased with goods and in need of nothing, only to be revealed by Christ and His Word as wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and then vomited out of His mouth? Will that be our legacy? Because, my friends, that is the legacy of apostasy. And I go back to my initial exhortation. I want to exhort you today, lest any of us be hardened by the deceitful of sin, the deceitfulness of sin. Lest any of us be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus and follow another Jesus. Christmas is about Christ. Let us not be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Because, my friends, there is no remedy for apostasy. Only judgment. We see that in the Scriptures. There is no remedy for apostasy. Only judgment. Will we follow Cain's legacy? Or will we repent? As Christ urged the church at Laodicea to do. To take salve that they may see to repent. Will we be people of repentance and faith? Will we be true to this book and will we be used of the Lord to reap eternal fruit? That's the choice today. Will we follow Cain or will we follow the Lord? There's no remedy for apostasy but judgment. I wish I could keep preaching. You know, this message doesn't really stop here. I'd love to take you over to Isaiah 6, that great missionary passage, one of the greatest passages of commissioning of a missionary in all the Bible. Isaiah, in the, king, in the year that uh, King Uzziah died, saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And when Isaiah saw God's glory, he pronounced a curse upon himself. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips, and I have seen the Lord of glory. And then God cleaned him. He purged him and said, Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Prior to that, though, it's amazing what the prophet preaches about. Before he saw God's glory, he talked about God's vineyard. Israel was supposed to be God's vineyard. And I don't believe the church has replaced Israel. Don't mistake me here. I believe God's got a plan for Israel, a plan for the church. He will fulfill His promises. But in the same vein, we as the church in this age are God's vineyard. God's done all these things for us. And then it says there in Isaiah, what more could be done for my vineyard? I thought it would bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. I've done everything to care for it, God says, and it still brought forth wild grapes. So what must I do? I'm going to tear it down. I'm going to tear it down. That's what, is that what's going to happen with the church today? God looked for grapes and we're bringing forth wild grapes. What more could He do for us? He's given us a Bible in a language we can understand. He's given us the gospel message. He's put us in a society where Christianity has, has a heritage here that you don't see anywhere else. And still, we're bringing forth wild grapes. And then He goes on to say in Isaiah 5, and I would encourage you to study this, six different things. Woe unto those. Woe unto those that do these things. Woe unto nations that do these things. Woe unto those that claim to follow Christ and do these things. I'm not going to go through it, but what must we do? We must purge ourselves of these things to avoid the way of Cain. We must not be like that vineyard that brings forth wild grace. We must purge our things of hoarding, partying, mocking, Sinning, all these things. Woe unto those that do those things. Woe unto those that call evil good and good evil. That's what the Scriptures say. Don't we do that here in America? Are we doing that in the church? We know in America what God calls abortion or murder. He calls it murder. We call it a woman's right to choose. What we call an alternative lifestyle, God calls abomination. Much of what we call patriotism in this country, I believe, is arrogance in God's eyes. I mean, I... I'm thankful for the freedom we have here, friends. I really am. But it's a sad day in America when people say that we have freedom because of our troops. I was told that the other night. You have, the only reason you have freedom to stand here is because my brother's in Afghanistan. Friends, that's not true. Our freedom comes from God. And it's God's grace. We can have the largest military in all the world and all the most faithful troops. And God could overthrow us in an instant. Our freedom doesn't come for our troops. I'm thankful for those that serve our country, but I think a lot of us worship the military, though we wouldn't admit it. I think we have faith in our government when our government can offer us nothing apart from the grace of God. Let's don't call good what God calls evil and evil what God calls good. But woe unto people that do these things. We need to watch our words. Some of the things we say, we mean well, but it's not true. Our freedom comes from God. 
And friends, no matter what happens to our government, even if it topples, if our armies are defeated and we're invaded, we still have freedom in Christ. They can't take that from us. Let's be thankful for freedom that comes from God and thankful for His protection and grace over our troops. That's what we should be thankful for. Give glory to Him. But woe unto those who do these things. We need to purge ourselves. And then we need to envision God's glory as Isaiah did. When we see God's glory, we should see it in His Word. When we envision God's glory, then we'll see ourselves as we truly are. We'll see that we're in need of a Savior. That we have no hope without Christ. That we must repent. And those that don't see that, I'm telling you, they don't know the glory of God. Isaiah saw God's glory. And he pronounced upon himself a curse. Purge ourselves of those sins that doth so easily beset us. Envision God's glory and then we must repent and surrender. That's how we avoid the way of Cain. I'm not necessarily talking about salvation here. I'm talking about living victoriously for Christ and avoiding the way of Cain. We must purge ourselves of these sins that doth so easily beset us through the power of God. We must envision God's glory. And we must repent like Isaiah. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. We do dwell amongst the people, people of unclean lips. And then what did he do? He surrendered. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Cain's way was, here I am, Lord. I'm going to do it my way. Isaiah was, here am I. Send me. That's how we bring glory to God. My friends. So this is supposed to be a Christmas message. It is. Christmas is about Christ. Christ is everything for us. Unlike the people at the church last night, Christmas, you're not supposed to, we don't do that now. This is not the time for that. No, the time for Christ is 24-7, 365 days a year. And let's remember that this Christmas season. Let's remember why He came. How soon man rebelled against God in the garden and how, why God was faithful. How He was faithful to bring into the world what He prophesied. And let's look for that second coming. Just like Simeon, Anna, Zacharias. And those Jewish people looked for that first coming. See, the Bible always prophesied that Messiah would come twice. I don't know why the Jews can't understand this. Numbers 24, 17, God said a star will come out of Jacob and a scepter out of Israel. The wise men were from Babylon where a lot of the Jews had been dispersed. And when they saw that star, they knew what was taking place. A star out of Jacob, comma, and a scepter out of Israel. The two comings are there. He came as a humble babe. He'll come as a king. A king. And when we stand before Him, may we not be found with countenance fallen, having run in the way of Cain, but in a way of faithfulness. Thanks for your prayers. I pray this is a blessing to you this morning. God hasn't called all of us to go in the ways that some of your missionaries here are going. That some of your fellow believers are going. But I will tell you this, God has called us to go to all nations. And friends, you don't have to step out of Tulsa to go to all nations. They're here. At OSU, I talked to a couple of people from Saudi Arabia, other countries. The nations are here. We are called to go. Friend, if you can't go into all nations, then give so others can. Hold the ropes to your giving. If you can't go or you can't give, pray that God will send forth laborers and friends, if you can go and you can give and you can pray like I can, you need to do all three. God bless you. Peace be with you all. What an honor to be here this morning.